My story of life starts with death. It actually starts with a cemetery and a gravestone and a 17-year-old with words that can't really be repeated at church. My throat hurt from crying, my voice hurt from screaming, and my heart hurt from missing her. A girl needs a mom. 13-year-olds with too many questions about too many things need moms because they have all the answers. They know how to make sense of everything at a time in life when nothing makes sense. But she was gone, and the little fire she started in my heart about God was dimming, where the drugs was dimming, where the alcohol was dimming, where the fights with my father dimming, until I was left alone in the dark, cursing at God, throwing rocks at a big cross in the graveyard, begging and pleading for answers. What does your mother look like? My mother had red, red hair and blue, blue eyes and the loveliest freckles imaginable. Her name was Kathleen. Raised Irish Catholic in Jacksonville, Florida, she met Jesus in a small church meeting in an upstairs room of a storefront in Jonesboro, Arkansas. He swept her off of her feet. She fell in love with him. She was never the same after that. I loved to watch my mother worship. She would raise her hands, palms stretch wide, as if to give the Holy Spirit more room to land. Her death was so unexpected, it was life-shattering. She died after giving birth to a sibling that died too. I do not have words for how my heart broke that night. Later, around one in the morning, I went outside and screamed as loud as I could. I had to release what I was feeling. I didn't know what else to do. I was 13, Aaron was 11, Brett was 6, and Caitlin was 4. And the headstone of her grave read, Love Jesus more than life. And it was at that headstone, years later, that I found myself weeping, angry, and exhausted. I collapsed against it, unable to do anything but breathe jagged breaths. I was a mess. It seemed that my life could be divided into two time frames, life with mom and life after. Life with mom had been meaningful and safe. Life after was a bit like living in a fog, without light, with no direction. Everything I had done to try and make things better had failed. I was young and angry and miserable, and I knew it. In the midst of all, all that rawness, I realized I was whispering, I need you, Jesus. If you're really real, and if my mom loves you so much, then please show me who you are. It was then, at 4 a.m., on my mother's grave, that I was wrapped up in what can only be described as a warm embrace. Even with my eyes closed in the dark of that cemetery, it seemed that I was surrounded with light, and I had the sensation of being lifted up and held. I began to weep again at the overwhelming sense of compassion and love and peace that was washing over me. I kept saying, it's you, it's you, it's really you. After a while, I opened my eyes and quietly asked Jesus to forgive me, asked him to be Lord of my life. Nothing fancy. I don't even really remember what I said, but I haven't been the same since. I'm a mom now, and it's my turn to be the one that helps create a fire in my son's heart. Granted, I've screwed things up so much since then, I've wondered if God hasn't thrown up his hands in exasperation 
but I always come back to that night. It was as if he was holding me and crying too. It was as if he was saying, I know, I know how much it hurts to lose the one you love. My story starts with death, but it ends with life. This is my story. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with a series called A Personal Touch. And our premise for this whole series is, the, is simply this, that we face faith decisions all the time in our life. Our faith decisions often have questions that are barriers to them. Questions like Megan had, huh? how can God be loving with the death of my mom? Or and, and questions that for you, maybe in your past, come out of the fact that you have some pain. Most of our obstacles to faith come out of pain. They come out of experiences we've had. And we're not going to challenge the fact of the questions. In fact, we're going to value the questions. In fact, I'm guessing if you're here today and you've decided not to follow Jesus yet, for some reason you probably have a lot of questions. Maybe maybe those questions are around your church experience. Maybe, maybe you grew up around church and it was boring, it was irrelevant, it just never applied to life. Or, or maybe you're a little bit like me growing up in a pastor's home where I got to see all the ins, inside works of a church and I saw these great Christian leaders who everybody looked up to and respected who'd get up on Sunday mornings and say, you know, if, if the world would just see how good my life was, then... Then they, because of Jesus, then they'd want to be with me. But I'd see some of those same people who Jesus talks about giving love and giving grace and being peaceful and being unified. And I'd say, see, these same people give no grace and no peace to, to other people. And, and you just kind of look at that and you go, where's the disconnect? Really? You really think I want to follow God because your life and I see this going on? And, and maybe it, maybe it was your church experience that's made you choose not to make a, a decision to follow Christ so far. Or maybe it's or maybe it's your church experience from the standpoint that you really fully engaged and and you, it was a positive experience, except that you really believed that God was here to transform lives and and you were taught that God could heal people and and you pressed into that and you prayed and you did everything you thought was right or like a friend of mine did and and he just didn't seem like it worked like it should. It's, it just didn't seem like like people got healed enough. Why did, why did somebody die when, when if Jesus healed back then, why doesn't he do that now? If, if, he, if God really saves us from sin, then why is my friend struggling with alcoholism and can't get free even though they pray and ask God to, to, to lead them? And, and you walk away with this illusion and going, hey, it just... It, it's a nice idea, but it doesn't look or, or maybe your question, maybe your question, if you haven't decided to follow God is, is man, this is a really big universe. If, if a God created this universe, then, then he's so big and I'm so small. Why would he ever want to pay attention to me? Or who knows? Maybe, maybe your struggle is this whole concept that Jesus is the only way. Maybe that just seems narrow to you. If, there, if, the, if Jesus is really the only way to God, then what about all the other religions? What about all the other people who haven't heard about him? Well, how do we deal with that question? And, and that just seems unreasonable and, and unreasonable to even associate with a loving God. 
Or maybe you're just really scientifically minded and you've just got so many questions and, and you're just more comfortable living life with the questions that can be answered. And, and you're a little bit maybe like, uh, sorry, I'm not saying you're like Karl Marx in every way, but Karl Marx is the guy who phrased, coined the phrase that religion is the opiate of, opiate of the people. It's just something that helps us live life better, have a better experience, provide some meaning, maybe provide values for our kids. And, and I want to I tell you today that if you're here with those questions, those are legitimate questions. They're honest questions. And you would be foolish not to look at those questions and address them as part of your faith journey. But you know, I also want to talk not just to you, but I want to talk to the rest, to, to many of you here who have made the decision to follow Jesus as your Lord, because the reality is questions that form barriers to our next faith step don't go away necessarily once we start to follow God. We still have all sorts of questions about, about what does forgiveness look like in this situation or that situation or, or how do I follow God here? How do I follow, how do I be a person of faith and pray here? And what do I do? And it doesn't make sense what I'm supposed to do. And you may have a ton of questions. And, and, and so my agenda for this series is, is very simple. I want to speak very clearly to both audiences, those of you who are struggling yet to make a faith decision to follow Jesus and those who have already made a faith decision. And I have one agenda for both of you. I want you simply to take the next faith step that God wants you to take. And that's what our series is about, looking at how we make faith decisions. And maybe in a little bit of a different way than you've heard before. Maybe, maybe in a way that's going to help you see, okay, this is, here's this a big obstacle. This is a big question. This is something I can't figure out in life. But, but maybe it's, maybe we're going to help you figure out a way over that or around it or, or directly through that question to an answer. And it's not that we're not valuing questions. In fact, I want to take a couple moments right here and I want to, I want to express our value of questions by asking you to pull this out of your program. Because, as I said, the questions you have are important. And we're actually going to, in a series starting in January, we're going to form a series or two or three, I don't know, it just depends on the questions we get, around the questions you have that form maybe obstacles to you taking that next step or, or just questions that confuse you and, and you just go, if I knew this, it would be so much easier to follow God in this area of my life. And I want to take just about two minutes right now, and there's pens at the end of your rows uh, if people need a pen, and I want you to write those questions down, and then uh, when you're done, uh, just leave them at the end of the service or whatever on the end of the, on the, end of the rows, and we'll pick them up, and, and we'll start forming what we're going to talk about in January and February around what you are most interested in. And if you don't think of a question today, there's an email address. Just take this along with you. We got a fire. No, sorry. <laughs> and this is, uh, you, can, you can email me those questions. Okay, just take about two minutes right now. And I want to hear from you by writing and then submitting them what your questions are, okay? Feel free to finish writing or whatever you need to do while we're, while we're continuing to talk. You know, the premise of the series is that faith decisions are not made for most of us because all of our questions get answered. 
They're made because something becomes personal, because God becomes personal, and we take those questions into relationship with Him. And for those of you who struggle with following God, and you may look at that and you may hear the testimonies of my heart won over my head, or, or, or God became so real in this emotional moment, or, or you may hear even people who are Christians talking about giving and tithing, and, and, and isn't it interesting that we never hear somebody talk about a testimony, whether it's their faith or whether it's giving, about how it makes so much sense what you hear if, especially in the area of money if somebody comes up and talks about tithing you, t- you hear him say about how meaningful it has been how freeing it has been for their relationship testimonies of faith are always personal and they don't necessarily come from having all of our questions answered so here's what i what i suggest is possible next steps of faith for each of us if you're here and, uh, and as we talk about this series, you, you decide, yeah, God really is personal to me. Then you know what? Maybe that decision to follow Him is it. But if you're here, maybe the next step of faith decision for you, if, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, is to simply pray this prayer. God, I want you, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions. I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions. And then look for Him in life and see Him. For some of you, maybe you've given your life to Christ and, and, uh, and the next decision, but you've never been baptized. The next decision is to get baptized. And we're going to do that on December 26th. Actually, that's in your bulletin. If you, if you pay attention to the schedule, uh, we're actually not going to have a regular service on Sunday the 26th. It's just going to be a, a brunch served by the staff, and we're going to celebrate baptisms and have some fun together. Our main services that weekend will be the Christmas Eve services on Friday night. Uh, so you'll, you, you just wanted to make sure you hear that because you probably have to hear it five or six times because our Sunday routines are rote and we'll still wake up on Sunday thinking there's normal services. And so anyway, we'll give it to you a, f- a few more times. So for some of you, your faith step is going to simply be to define your questions as we're asking you to do now and even to submit them. Define your questions and, and how those questions form a barrier to you walking free fulfilled, happy in God. And then maybe simply just defining the questions and start praying, God, I think I know what you want me to do. Even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to start taking steps to do that. It's a great time of year to look at this topic because we'll tie in a little bit of the Christmas, especially on Christmas Eve to this thing, this time. But, but today we're going to start with a core scripture that illustrates this concept. It's the core scripture of the entire Bible. Jesus restates this, and it's recorded in three of the Gospels. We're going to look at, at Mark 12, and, and he's answering this question, what's the greatest commandment? Somebody's asking him, what is the biggest priority? What is the major thing that we have to pay attention to? What's the biggest thing that we have to understand in order to make effective faith decisions to follow you? And it's very simple. Most of you have probably heard this. It just goes, the love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Notice he didn't say, understand. Notice he didn't say, get all your questions answered. Have all this knowledge and wisdom to follow me and have faith. He says, love. Love me, something very personal, with your entire being. Nor does he diminish questions. 
You don't have to throw your mind out. You don't have to throw your questions out because he says, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love me with everything about you. Bring your questions to me. But it's interesting because when we start to ask our questions, it's so easy to, it's so easy to fall back into this, into this mode of the, of the critique of a, of a dispassionate observer. And how many of you have seen somebody in the news media who was at the center of some sort of controversy? Maybe a political leader who was accused of all sorts of bad things and probably was innocent, but was interviewed and got up and said, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what other people think of me because they don't know me. And and let's get more personal. How many of you in your life, how many of you in your life have been accused of something by someone of ill motives, of wrong motives, of doing something badly in your life, and they didn't know you, and they had no clue. In fact, your thought was, if they only knew what I did, if they only knew how I really thought about this, they would never even question that in me. And really, honestly, it's the same with God. I would submit to you that if we could answer all of your questions, it would still not lead to faith for you. Because getting our questions answered does not lead to faith. It has to be something personal. And see, until we even understand this personalness of God, it doesn't even frame our questions in a way that we can understand who he really is and how he really thinks. Because it has to be personal. Jesus illustrates this uh, in a story in, in, in how something, how personals can change our lives, how, how it changes everything for us in this story in John 1, 43 through 49. And, and in the context of this, we have to understand it's the very beginning of Jesus' adult ministry. And in the verses right before this, what you'll see is you'll see Jesus going to get baptized by John and, and John t- testifying and, and, and witnessing to who Jesus is, saying he's the Lamb of God, he's the Messiah, he's the one we should follow. And, and in this context we see Andrew who is one of John the Baptist's disciples hearing John talk about Jesus this way and Andrew decides to leave John and follow Jesus and it just so happens that Andrew goes and gets his brother who's Peter yes that's the Peter we all know Simon Peter the the big one in the Bible it's Andrew's brother and he goes and gets Peter and says hey I found the Messiah let's uh, let's follow him and and then the text picks up and says the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee And once in Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, verse 44, this all ties it a little bit together. said, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. These were all friends. Bethsaida was this little podunk village of maybe 50 people, archaeologists tell us. It's right on the edge of the lake. It's probably the smelly little fishing village. And, and, and Jesus goes there with, with Andrew and Peter and finds one of their friends, Philip, and says, follow me. And and then Philip goes and finds a friend, Nathaniel. So all these guys know each other. And he told him, he says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. He's making this audacious claim that this Messiah that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is here. And I know who he is. All the religious leaders, the big guys in Jerusalem, don't know who he is. He's not coming to the religious Mecca of the day. He's coming to Bethsaida, this little town. I know who he is, Nathaniel. He's here. And that would have probably been as believable as a headline in the Columbus Dispatch. 
except that he said this. He said, and he's Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And we start to see Nathaniel's character come out because he goes on and says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, we went from smelly little fishing village of 50 people with the Messiah coming to it to the ultimate white trash town of Israel in that statement. We went from the Columbus Dispatch headline saying the Messiah is here to the National Enquirer saying Elvis is alive in Keister, Minnesota. It's that kind of a statement. And, and, and Nathaniel, we start to see his character as a person who wants to see things correctly. He's got questions. He's got honest questions. And see, Philip could have responded to that like many of us when we have questions from people, either people who have decided to follow Jesus or maybe our friends who haven't decided to follow him yet and they have questions. We start to put ourselves in, in this answer man mode where we have to have the answers. In fact, many of us avoid conversations of faith with people who don't believe around us yet because we feel like we have to be the answer man. And Philip could so easily in this setting have succumbed to that. I mean, he could have started going through and say, yeah, but John the Baptist said this, and, 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 and yeah, he's from Nazareth. How do I explain that one? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, doesn't fit with anything. How do I? And he would have felt all the pressure to be the answer man, but all he says is, come and see. Come and see. Because it's personal. We don't have to prove God to anyone. He can prove himself to you, to me, if we seek him. We don't have to be answer people. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, it says, He said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And it took Nathanael off guard. He says, How do you know me? How do you really know who I am? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. There was this divine sense of knowing that came from Jesus of who Philip was. And, and it dramatically changed him because he affirmed him. He affirmed him personally. And, and then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Nathaniel, in a matter of minutes, maybe in a matter of a few steps, maybe a few yards of walking from the fig tree to where Jesus was, went from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Sure, sure, Philip. I'm, just, I'm sure you really know who this guy is. To Rabbi, you are the Son of God. And that's really hard probably for some of us here who struggle with faith decisions. How can somebody change that fast? Doesn't that seem simple? Isn't it nice to see that simple faith, we may say? Isn't it nice to see how God seems to touch them? Maybe Isn't it nice to see the testimony of Megan and, and, and look and see, yeah, yeah, God touched her in a really emotional time, but it was really just about emotions. This, this, it's such beautiful, simple faith, but it's, it's a little naive. And yet, that's the reality. In fact, the reality is it's funny that we make that statement about our faith decisions in regard to God because we make those same kind of decisions every day. 
We make decisions that to us seem illogical every day and consider it completely reasonable. So let's illustrate this. I'm going to need some help here. And uh, I want you to give me the objections that you hear most guys saying why they don't want to get married. Okay? Now, I realize this is a dangerous question, and I realize you're going to be distracted because I should have used thicker paper. <laughs> so the funny, one of the funny parts is already seen, and I didn't notice that until I flipped it around. So, hey, you know, uh, why do guys get married? Or what are the objections, first of all, that keep them, the questions that keep them from getting married? And guys, I'm going to let you off the hook because here's what I know. This is either going to be all answers by women or it's going to be answers by guys who go home and have a really long conversation in the car. Do you really think that, honey? So, guys, I only want you to say what you've heard other people say, not what you think, okay? Okay, so give me the objections as to why... Men choose not to want to get married. Not ready. What are they not ready for? What are they not ready to give up? Freedom. What else? Money. What do you mean? I get to go golfing all the time. I get to go out and hang out with the guys. You mean I'm going to have to give that up to go buy shoes? Right? Okay, what else? Responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah, it's one thing to have the pressure to feed yourself. It's another thing to have the pressure to feed your wife and babies. And then you got to get a bigger house and probably a nicer, more reliable car because you don't want your wife breaking down. And Right? What else? Independence, freedom. Yeah, I can't, I can't necessarily plan to go out whenever I want to anymore, can I? Because I have somebody else who's in the equation, right? Let me ask you a question. How many of you answered all these questions and resolved all these questions before you got married? Anybody? I don't know if I know of any. Well, I, I suppose maybe we could probably find somebody out there who, who may have answered the financial question. Maybe they, you know, were a big dot com executive and had 300 million and then decided to get married. I don't know, but, but we don't answer these questions and yet we make a decision to get married because of what you've already seen and actually more appropriately. Something happens. And it's not that our questions go away. It's that something so beautiful, so personal happens that our questions shrink. Now, maybe some of the questions go away. You know, if you married well and, and, and have worked on your marriage hard and, and things are going well, maybe you, don't even, maybe you don't want the freedom anymore. Maybe you're just so happy to not have that anymore because, because of how wonderful it is. And, but... but you probably still have some of those same questions, guys. It's just that they're so small in comparison to the beauty of what you get to experience. That you've gotten to the point where you're not even sure it's worth even 
asking the questions. You know, Nathaniel, when he met Jesus, I don't, there's no record of him saying, Jesus, okay, now explain how you could be from Nazareth. Explain all this to me. Why does that? I, I can't come to faith in you. I can't believe that you're the son of God until I understand this, until I understand the problem of evil and the problem of suffering. And I can't understand, I can't get married until I understand exactly how we're going to be married with never any chance of a divorce or any unhappiness at all, Right? That just doesn't happen because happiness and faith decisions are not dependent upon answers to questions. They're dependent on something very beautiful and very personal happening. And it's the same with God. It's the exact same with God. We may consider it illogical to get married, but we do not consider it unreasonable. In fact, we promote it and think it's beautiful and think it's awesome. But our problem with so many of our questions is a little bit like a puzzle. We tend to take our individual questions like little puzzle pieces and and we examine them so closely and we try to figure out exactly where they fit and and, and we just don't feel like we can do anything until we figure out where that fits. and, And what we really need to do sometimes is even before the puzzles all put together we need to step back and look at the beautiful picture and i wish i would have had a really beautiful picture but you know we're not a puzzle family and and so we have i spy type of puzzles for for kids and this is a 500 piece one that's a hard pretty hard puzzle for kids but you get the idea sometimes we need to just step back from from our questions and it's not unreasonable It doesn't mean the questions go away. It doesn't mean the questions aren't legitimate. But sometimes we need to just step back from the questions and we need to look and see, God, what's the big picture? Where's the beauty of God in my life? Because, you see, I suspect for some of you here who have not made the decision to follow Jesus yet, I suspect that you have have sensed his beauty and you have sensed his presence before but you've not made the decision because you can't figure out these pieces and, and you're one of these guys like Nathaniel who has to have the answers. And that's an honest, good thing that God created in you. But it's not unreasonable. It may be illogical, but it's not unreasonable to make a faith a step, a step of faith based upon the very presence of God in your life. Now maybe maybe you've dismissed some of that as as you know just feeling this chill and it's the it's just the you know probably you figured out later that it wasn't really God that was just sitting under the HVAC system you know and getting a cool breeze on you and and you've dismissed that but I suspect for some of you that God has already shown Himself to be very personal for you the invitation today is if He's shown you to be per, shown Himself to be personal to you then take the step of faith just like you do in other areas of your life. If you're not ready for that and, and you're here and you haven't declared Jesus as the leader of your life, then, then, then I want you to at least, I want to invite you at least to start praying the prayer, God, I want to know you more than I want to know the answers to my questions, which is a completely reasonable question, a reasonable prayer to ask. You don't have to dismiss your questions to pray that. For the rest of you, who may have already made the decision to follow Christ, I want you to recall the beauty of God in your life, to recall the times in the picture of your life where he's shown himself to be personal and real. 
and in that area of question where you're going, I don't know if I can take this step of faith. I don't know if I can surrender, whether it's your, whether it's, whether it's forgiveness or, or whether it's your finances or whether it's your giving or whether it's your work or whether, I don't know what it is that you have a question in, whether it's, whether it's this problem of how can somebody be suffering. I don't know what it is. But whatever your question is that, that makes you put up an, barriers, that makes you step back from God and say, I don't know if I can follow. I don't know if I can take that next step. Revisit how he's been personal to you. And then pray and say, God, I want to take that next step. Lord, I'm going to take that next step and trust you because of how you've been in my life in the past. And even if I'm wrong, Lord, you're going to rescue me, but I'm going to at least start taking the step. I'm, I'm not going to keep the walls up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to maybe, maybe God's calling you to commit to serve somebody or, or commit to a relationship or commit to something. I don't know. But you've just got these walls up because of questions, because of hurt. And I want to invite you today to take that step. Let's pray. Lord, You are such a wonderful, gracious God. Thank you, Lord, that that our questions do not offend you. Our questions are something you value and you love, and you've created us with a desire to love you with our entire being, including our mind, including our questions. But Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we we would not sit back as dispassionate, disconnected, observers critiquing you who who don't don't know you but lord we would realize that that you want to be known and that we would pursue you and that we would ask our questions from the context of knowing you personally in jesus name amen if you came here and you uh you have prayer needs, please grab a friend or uh, you can come down and somebody will be here to pray for you. If you are here today and you feel like God is tugging on your heart, that he really is real, and you've just been using your questions as an excuse and you're ready to say, God, I'm in, I'm going to follow, then I want you to grab a, a really close Christian friend next to you and I want you to talk to him about that and pray with them and or you can come talk to me or one of the other staff. God bless. Have a great week.